family. Uh, I may get emotional, who knows? I have missed you all so much. It is great to be back. Uh, I am not an imposter. My, if you're watching on the live stream, yes, I am Jeff Birch, and I am the pastor here at Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church, and it is my awesome privilege to be able to welcome you this morning, whether you are in person or joining us through the live stream for worship this morning. <clears throat> Before You'll hear me do one of the things, a couple different things today. I'm not wearing the normal mic, so I won't be wandering today. Today's a day I have to be disciplined. I also, and that's because you'll hear me go, <clears throat> quite a bit. I am calling myself better, but not 100% recovered. And that's largely, uh, I'm over the COVID. Both Evie and I have tested negative. Uh, you can talk to us and not be afraid, all of that fun stuff. And we're fine in that regards. But the pneumonia is probably what got me more than anything. And so I'm still recovering in terms of... Uh, you know, trying to get air and stamina and all that. Let me just say a word of thanks to this church family. You have endeared yourself to us in ways we can't imagine or even begin to express. The calls, the cards, the tokens of appreciation, your prayers, your friendship, knowing that it's very tough. Uh, I know when Marion was here, I was listening to the live stream and he said, you can't imagine how frustrated Jeff is. Ask Evie how frustrated Jeff has been over the last five weeks as I'm going, number one, I'm a type A personality. I am used to be moving and uh, active and whatnot. So God's way of saying uh, you're a limited creature was really uh, interesting. And so the fact that I was kind of like, I'm new here. I want to build relationships and build trust. The fact that you were so gracious, so kind. I can't begin to tell you how grateful I am. And I don't know if they're watching or not watching or where they are, but a huge thanks to Joe King and Marion Clark who filled in for me while I was away. I'm so grateful for these men and grateful for the elders and the deacons and the all of you. It's been incredible. Uh, a couple of brief announcements. We have uh, welcome packets. If you're visiting here with us this morning, we're glad that you're here. Thrilled that you've chosen to worship with us. Help yourself to a uh, just kind of one of the welcome package things. And then on the, on the end of the pew or end of the rows, you'll see friendship pads. We would encourage everyone, whether you're a longtime member or a visitor, uh, sign the friendship pad. Let us know you're here. Pass it down to the end of the row, and we greatly appreciate it. I'm going to try to be somewhat careful in terms of how much I say. So you know what I'm going to do? You can read the rest of the announcements. Probably, I, I've been encouraged by many of you and many of my friends, be wise, discerning, and prudent in how I'm pacing myself. So I have worship to go and uh, a sermon to go. So I'm going to try to do that. But now I'm going to invite Jan Murray to bring up two special guests of ours. It is a privilege to introduce Jim and Karen to many of you. We met Jim as a student at Georgia College in the fall of 1990. 
We watched him go from a man with no spiritual life into someone who believes the gospel when it comes to the souls of men, women, and children. We were there the first time Jim shared his new faith in Christ, and we were very afraid that he might pass out from the fear of speaking for the first time in public to watching him now <clears throat> from afar as he shares his life in Christ with ease. God bless Jim and us with Karen. He uses her to make Jim and others better. Jim and Karen's life became richer with their son, Nathan, who is now a junior at Covenant College. Jim and Karen have worked with MTW since 1999. They have served on a church planning team in Eastern Europe. And now, since 2013, have worked with South Asian immigrants, most of whom have a Muslim background in New York City. They minister through helping meet felt needs such as English language, after-school tutoring, and citizenship. Through this, God has opened up many hearts and minds who now worship him in a local underground church in New York. Jim, Karen, welcome. Good morning. It's uh, good to be here with you. I feel like Jan has said already a lot of who we are and <clears throat> excuse me, and what we do. Um, and it, it really is a, it's always a great privilege to be back here in Lake Oconee uh, to reconnect with Jan and Russell and, and some others who um, still live in the area from back in the early 90s. So I'm now much older and have a lot less hair, though not much less hair, but a lot a lot less hair, I guess. <laughs> and as Jan did say, um, she re we were talking last night, and she reminded me of that first time speaking at, at Covenant um, Presbyterian Church in Milledgeville, and, and I literally was shaking, like my entire body was shaking. <laughs> and she is right. I was pretty close to passing out. Um, so, uh, uh, and things have changed. I've gotten a little bit better over the years. I don't shake nearly as much, though I still get nervous speaking to crowds because I am actually an introvert, though it doesn't always come out that way as much now. But um, as Jan said, Karen and I have been in New York City since 2013. We've been working with South Asian immigrants who come into the city. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, most of those immigrants uh, have been coming in to New York City since about 2000. So we work in a community in Jamaica with about 25,000 South Asian, primarily people who are from Bangladesh <coughs> or Bangladesh. And as Jan mentioned, we have a, our platform for reaching out to that community is that we have what we call, it's a nonprofit that we developed in the city um, where through that nonprofit we offer English classes, we offer after school tutoring, we do professional development and citizenship classes. Um, again, all these people who are coming in, most of them have won their green card. Um, you know, many of you may not know this, but you can apply and uh, for in a lottery to win a US green card. It's, it's very expensive. Um, but for many of these people, they will spend their entire life fortune in order to get this green card uh, because if they can win it, they'll be able to come to America and they'll slowly be able to bring over the rest of their family. And so for the last eight years, we've been working with these South Asian immigrants, um, teaching them some of their meetings, helping meet some of their felt needs, while at the same time showing them and demonstrating to them the love of Christ. 
for many of them, just like college students, particularly international college students, many of them have never met a Christian. Their only view of Christianity is what they've been, they've been taught in their mosque or what the um, Quran teaches. Um, so for a lot of them, it's a new experience. Um, for many Muslims, when they think of Christians, they think of Christianity as what they see on TV. Okay, So if you can imagine um, when you meet a Muslim, they're most likely thinking that you are no different than whatever you name Baywatch or... You name whatever soap opera, whatever show, um, that's, what, that's who Christians are. Because in their mindset, um, to be a Christian means that you're born in the United States, you're automatically a Christian. It doesn't matter whether you profess Christ or not. It doesn't matter if you have a relationship with Christ. It's simply a matter of where you were born. So if you were born in Bangladesh, you are Muslim. If you were born in the United States, you are Christian. So for many of our South Asian immigrant friends, they've come to know us and they begin to realize, hey, you're very different than a lot of Americans. First of all, we're pouring out our lives into their lives. And then secondly, we're really loving on them and caring for them, having them into our home, going into their homes, and sharing the gospel with them. And even when we differ about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, we've still been able to maintain deep friendships and deep relationships within that community. Now, I know um, many of you are thinking, why New York City? Maybe you're not thinking that. Maybe you're thinking you're crazy for going to New York City. And I could agree with you in a lot of ways, because I think that sometimes myself. But New York City has one million Muslims who live in New York City. One million. Of that one million Muslims, there's about 12 people who work with them in full-time ministry, who reach out to them. Twelve. That's it. Twelve. Um, which means that there's a lot of people, a lot of Muslims in the city, who have never met an actual Christian, who have never heard the gospel. When you look at New York City itself, just, just the city itself, not Metro New York, so around 9 million people, almost half of the people who call New York City home belong to either unreached or least reached people groups. That means they have no church and or no witness um, in their community. All right, so that's 2 million, 2.5 million Jewish people in New York City, um, 1 million Muslims, 500,000 Buddhists, 200,000 Sikhs, just tons and tons of these unreached people groups from all over the world who come now to the United States and make the United States home. So much so that even within the Muslim community, by the end of, 20, by the end of 2030, the second largest religious group in the United States will no longer be uh, Jewish people. They will be Muslims. That's the percent of the, the Muslim population that's growing in the United States. And for the most part, we as a church aren't doing a great job reaching out to them. Whether they're Muslim or Jewish or Sikh or Buddhist, we don't do a good job reaching out to them. Most of us have no clue how to do that or are not interested in doing that. And that's why Karen and I are very thankful that this is a ministry that God has called us to and that we love to do even though it's a struggle. It's not easy work. It's difficult work. I'm not standing up here telling you that we've seen hundreds of people come to faith. That's not true. We've seen handfuls of people come to faith. Um, and through that handfuls, there's been a small house church um, that's been planted. That's an underground house church because... In order to come to faith, often in the South Asian community, you have to hide your faith from your family, or your husband will divorce you, or, your, um, or kill you, or harm your res relatives in Bangladesh. And so there is that aspect of our work that still goes on that we have to be careful with. I'm going to hand it over, because I'm talking way too long right now. See? That's the problem with um, being in missions right now, I think. I don't want to shut up. So. Which is a difference. It's a big difference, right? Right? <laughs> So one of my favorite things to talk about is the time that your church sent a team to our um, work, and we had people 
Come on, raise your hand, stand up. So this was the best team we've ever had. Seriously, I talk about it all the time. Um, you guys were great, and we would invite you to come back. Um, I know COVID is still, has, has lots of questions for us, but we would love to have you. There's a lot of opportunity because um, I think a lot of times we have misconceptions about Muslims. These are some of the most hospitable friends that I have ever had. <laughs> These are people who would give me the last piece of rice in their home, um, invite me in for tea all day long. So um, there's just a lot of connections to be made. And um, the gospel always grows, even if it's not visible to us. So one of our dear friends who has become a Christian, um, she has now spoken to her family in Bangladesh, and I would say 12 members of her extended family are Christians now um, because of this one woman who's in New York that we've been able to know. And I, it's very difficult for Jim and I to get a, a visa to go to Bangladesh, but for my friend Julia, I will call her, obviously she goes back and forth and talks to people all the time. So God knows what he's doing when he brings people from different nations to America. He knows what he's doing, and he's giving us access for the gospel. So I want to talk just a minute about COVID. Um, during COVID, New York was hit really hard. Jim and I lived right next to the hospital that was on the news, that had the lines around um, the block and the sirens all day long. Um, we were there. We all got sick um, before there were tests, before there were masks, all those kind of things. Our small Bangladeshi community... Um, how many people are in that community? 30,000? 25 to 30,000 people. And what is it? 13 mosques in that area? Um, 250 people died, um, one in our program. Everyone we know in that community knows someone who died. Um, Jim is a nurse, and so in the residences where he works, um, what are your numbers? 90? So 90, 90 people in, the, the, in my nursing job died from... COVID as well in New York City. And Out of 905 colleagues died. Um, so New York is still reeling from this. So one of the things that we did um, is we put all our programming online. So the adults had a really difficult time with this. Most of our families are taxi drivers and restaurant workers. So you can see how that also is a really big problem um, financially. So we were able to partner with an organization called Hope for New York, which works, which is an arm of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And they provided some grants, so we were able to distribute some um, food help and um, different things for people as they were struggling to get back on their feet. We also put our children's program online, and I want to talk about this because it's a big win. So we talk a lot, we hear a lot about how the students' grades went down and students are really struggling more, but I want to tell you, we've got 24 kids in our program, and because we were able to meet online, I had a tutor for every single one of those kids, and a lot of them met every day of the week. So we had homework turned in, and screens shared, and you know assignments that they could pull up and show us what we had. We had reading scores going up, reading levels going up, state test scores went up. And that's been a real blessing to see that just our volunteers and our online presence helped the kids in their achievement, in their confidence, even when most of them never went to school at all last year. They were all at home. Um, so that's a real praise, and that's something that the parents are reporting and saying, thank you, this is a big help for us. And so that's how we forge 
bonds. And the other thing is, is that we're always having conversations. And I want to end. Do you have, did you want me to end? Or I want to end just by telling you about a conversation I had with, I'm going to call her Anastasia and Rachel. I don't like to use real names. So this is pre-COVID. I want to say probably February before everything shut down. We probably already should have been shut down, but I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> you know, you know all the... <laughs> um, so um, Anastasia came in and her head was covered. Now all my women, almost all my women cover their heads. It's called hijab when they, when they cover their heads. And it's a sign of respect and covering and modesty. Well, she came in and she usually, she's 12. She doesn't usually cover her head, and she came in with her head covered. And so I was like, oh, your hijab is so pretty. You know, tell me this is new. And I was sitting there also with Rachel. I was working with the two girls. And Rachel's a couple years younger than her. And um, Anastasia said, well, my mom's been wanting me to cover my head for a long time, but I really didn't want to. But then my mom told me about the snakes. And I know a little bit. I usually don't ask questions to my kids that I don't know the answer to. So um, there's a lot of fear and a lot of snakes are a, if you don't eat your food, I'm going to throw you in the closet and the snakes will get you. Or in hell, the snakes will, you know, this kind of thing. So I'm like, the snakes. And I was like, well, tell me about the snakes. And she said, well, when I die, if I haven't covered my head, my hair will turn into snakes and they'll eat my face. And so I thought I should probably, you know, that would be okay. I would cover my head. And so... I said, wow, that's really scary. Um, and is that a judgment day? Um, and so all Muslims believe that actually Jesus is the one that comes back at the end of time and judges everyone. Okay? So I said, is that the end time when Jesus comes and judges everyone? And then Rachel said, yeah, that's when it is. And we all have to stand there. And there's just this judging. And we can't look left or right because we're all going to be naked. And it's going to be so embarrassing and so shameful. And maybe there'll be snakes and... I'm just really scared. And I said, wow, that's really scary. And we kind of just sat with it for a minute. Um, I don't want to argue with these kids. They're little. And it doesn't work. <laughs> um, I said, well, that's really interesting because um, for me, when I go before Jesus, then he gives me all his goodness and takes all my bad. And so then I'm not afraid. And both little girls said, Oh, that would be nice. And so we've continued those conversations. So I need to stop talking. It's been a long. But thank you. Thank you for praying for us. No, thank you again just for your support. You guys have been part of our support team for 20 plus years. And we are grateful. Very awesome. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship as Amy leads us in the prelude.
Amy, thank you so much. Our call to worship this morning comes from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 24. And I'm always amazed, recognize that it is God himself who is initiating and calling us into his presence. And in the book of Hebrews, we have a little picture of what is going on, the amazing scene. And I want you to just appropriate this as we respond. You know, worship is our response to the majesty and the love and the holiness of God. As we come to worship, verse 22 says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now listen to this. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering. There's not a hundred of us or 125 of us in here. We are here with innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Lord, we thank you for what you are doing in worship, and we invoke your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to join with us, that we may get caught up in your majesty, your wonder, who you are. Grant us your presence, that we would respond by offering a part of who we are. Our words may not be the most eloquent. We may be filled with all sorts of fears and worries and doubts and distractions, But Jesus, you're the mediator of a new covenant, and you bring us to the presence of the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we gather to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. You're getting all my favorites. And so our hymn of praise this morning is, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I want to hear you sing out.
I learned anything during my time uh, of illness, it is no matter how long we have been followers of Jesus, our flesh is still right there. And what does it do? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Boy, I have felt my own proneness of my own flesh, my own weakness to wander. And so, oh, to grace, how great a debtor. I'm not sure we'll ever fully understand what we owe our debt to grace. This morning we're doing a scripture reading from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 22 to 28. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Let's stand together and sing, Behold Our God. Oh, 
Because of his love, his grace, his initiative has invited us into his very presence, his throne room, his throne of grace for us to pour out our hearts, our praises, our rejoicing, our failures, our doubts, everything to come honestly and vulnerably before him. The prayer we have before us is what's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, and it is the Lord teaching his followers how we are to pray. Let's pray this together, and then I will lead us in the pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity to come before you, your throne of grace. And I'm mindful this morning of how we need your grace in so many ways. Lord, we live in a world that, to appearances' sake, certainly appears to be in turmoil and in chaos We know it is under the hand of your sovereignty, your kingship, your lordship. May we be assured of that and rest in that. But we do intercede for so many trials, turmoil, chaos, affliction. Lord, this morning I am mindful to pray for the people of Haiti. As they have had their world rocked again as they have experienced this earthquake. And many have lost their lives, and many are homeless, and many are so uncertain. Father, we pray that you would show your hand, manifest your power, be with, your, be with them through the church. To that end, we think of Donnie St. Germain and the ministry that he has done for so many years faithfully among the Haitians. We pray that you give them great wisdom and discernment as Donnie will be traveling down there to assess the situation, keep them safe, protect them. We know that tropical storms are coming. We know that COVID is raging. Lord, I think of Psalm 46 that says, you are our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. As the trouble is so easy to see, May we experience and feel and be assured that you are our ever-present help. Father, as I have been the recipient of so, um, so much grace and love from this congregation, Lord, I'm thankful and grateful. And Lord, we pray for any who are in affliction amongst us. We pray, Lord, for your comforting presence. We pray, Lord, for healing for so many. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to grow us as a church. 
Lord, thank you for this time of prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
have made it thus far. I think we could do this for a few more minutes. What do you think? The Lord is good, isn't he? I'm ready, Ken. Uh, I've been waiting a long time. This is, this is very dangerous. Notice I'm not looking in the direction of the clock. So you all might have to just wait a little bit for lunch. I'm pretty excited, but I'm trying to keep... This discernment and prudence thing is not an easy thing for me. I'm used to one speed and one speed only, so pray, pray for me. Let's go to the Lord as we approach his inspired, infallible word this morning and do so with humility, but with great joy as well. Father, we thank you so much. Um, my own heart just kind of bursts because of how much I've missed worship. The music, the singing, the fellowship, there is just something about, there's a reason why Paul in his letters exhorts the people of God in their body life together to sing to each other in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs. Because it's as we are together, as I'm listening and hearing people sing, come thou fount and behold our God, and as I'm hearing played the Lamb of God and all of, I'm going the riches and the treasures and the wisdom of you, Lord Jesus, is just being a balm to my soul. And I pray as we approach a very difficult text this morning and look at the failure of religious people, of church people, of people who on the outside seem to have it so much together to love and to be what we are called and what our vocation is, that, Lord, we would not be defensive, we'd be vulnerable, and that we would recognize that anything you show us about ourselves has been purchased, has been bought, has been absorbed into Jesus Christ on his death for us on the cross. So I pray that even as we look at the difficulty of our failure, we would see the riches of your grace. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am diving back into our study of the book of Romans, and where we left off was chapter 2, verses 17 through 24. And so, friends, if you have Bibles, please turn uh, in them. And our text is Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 24. Paul writes, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you were instructed from the law, And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the triune God of love because he loves us. Well, the last I saw you was just after General Assembly. And generalist, this is not a report on General Assembly. I'm, we have to talk amongst elders and see if we're doing that and when and how and all that stuff fun stuff, but I'll share a little bit of personal reflections. How's that? Because for me, it was filled with good and bad. Three guesses what the bad was. I discovered there's something called the Delta variant. I don't know that I had heard that when I got off the plane in St. Louis. I was just like, 
I have the vaccine. Let's rock and roll. Let's do this. And then, of course, uh, a few days after, I come home and I went, huh, interesting. There is a such thing as a Delta variant. So that was the bad. What was the good? Spending time with friends, spending time with uh, our elders and their families, uh, seeing many colleagues, and the worship. I love the worship at General Assembly. And probably my favorite was my good friend Russ Whitfield, who's a pastor in Washington, D.C., and a sermon he preached from the book of Jonah called Truth in Advertising. And you know what he meant by that? He was along the lines of, Christian, what kind of advertisement are you for Jesus? Now, don't get defensive just yet. Let me uh, pursue this a little bit more. You all know I came to Christ through the ministry of Young Life, and I can remember being in high school and walking the halls of the school and seeing what I consider. Now, I was 17, 18 years old, and I thought, this old man, he was probably at that time 40, and he's walking, his name was Bob McCook, and he's walking the halls of the high school. Now, I probably have a tendency to be arrogant and cocky now. Oh, my goodness, high school, forget it. And I'm walking the halls, and I'm thinking, what is this guy doing here? I, didn't, I wanted to know who he was, why he was interested in talking with me. Why would this 40-year-old want to be my friend, take an interest in me? Now, what was I really asking was, can I trust him? Does his life match up with what he is telling me? In other words, he's making claims, so he's advertising. I'm not a believer, okay? I believed in God in some distant sort of way. But he's making claims about Jesus Christ, and I wanted to know what kind of advertisement is his life for Jesus. In other words, does his life make his claims plausible? And with Bob, absolutely they did. Let me put it another way. PCA pastor Scott Sauls, a couple years back, wrote a book. I would highly, highly recommend it to you. It's called Irresistible Faith. And he wrote, what if Christians became the best advertisement for Jesus? Now listen to these examples that he gives. Saul says, these days the word Christian seems to evoke as many negative reactions as it does positive ones. And he says, this bothers me. Does it bother you? Critics might summarize their feelings about Christians with these words attributed to Mahatma Gandhi. I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike Christ. He gives another example that he cites, and painfully, for it comes from an adult Christian convert who then became disenchanted with her church. It was the author Anne Rice. I'm sure all of us have read Vampire Chronicles in our time, right? I haven't, but I've heard of Anne Rice. She says, today I quit being a Christian. I'm out. She says, I remain committed to Christ as always, but not to being Christian or to being a part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. For 10 years, I've tried. I failed. I'm an outsider. 
My conscience will allow nothing else. And Scott concludes, he says, as a forgiven, loved, and spirit-filled people, we can do better than this, can't we? Now, I'm not asking us this morning, as I introduce it in this way, I'm not saying, do you agree with him? That's not what I'm saying, asking at all. But I'm asking, along with Scott Sauls, does this bother you? Does this bother us? Does this trouble us? Or do we hear this and kind of self-justifying, defensive, kind of go, oh, that can't be the case. No, 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 no. Because, see, everyone, you walk around the world, what's the, what's the first thing that a non-believer will say about Christians? We're hypocrites. And of course, we go, yes, we are. We have our doctrine of total depravity, and this is true. I'm not advocating getting rid of that because it's absolutely true. But here's the tough question. Do you, yes, acknowledge your depravity and your brokenness and your sinfulness, or do we kind of, in our disposition, our attitude, and most importantly, how we interact and relate to others, do we kind of hold on to these realities as kind of excuses not to ever have to change? See, I want us, here's an application for this morning. I want us to be able to pray like David, have enough confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ that as Joe King preached last Sunday, forgives our sins as east is from the west. See, all of these things that I'm bringing up to you, if you are in Christ, does God remember them? No. Does God bring them up to you? No. What that ought to do for the Christian is make us the most honest, vulnerable people in the world. We could admit the truth about ourselves. I don't like admitting that I'm a selfish, demanding individual. Boy, did that become crystal clear over the last five weeks. I give you permission to ask Evie just how selfish I can be. Bind my wandering heart. We could sing, Come Thou Fount, every week. I need his grace so much. Now, you know why I can say that to you? Because as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed my sins from me. And you want to know what my biggest struggle is in life? Appropriating that core reality. That core reality ought to, ought to allow us to pray, like King David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. That's how we pray every night, isn't it? Search me, O God, and know the junk that's in me. Try me and know all the evil motives, the defensive, all the stuff that's in there, and then see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you have the desire to be a good advertisement for Jesus? See, look what's going on. little context, review, okay? What is Paul doing in these early chapters of Romans? He is convincing the people of God, he's speaking to a church, of their universal need for Jesus. How there is no one any better than anyone else. There is no such thing as superiority. We're all in the same boat. So in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, he shows clearly the expression of humanity's hostility toward God and turning away from God in plunging into idolatry, 
the futility of their thinking, sexual immorality, the obvious lostness. Tim Keller calls it irreligion. The obvious and more visible rupture of communion with God and others. But what about the less obvious? What about those who, on the surface, appear religious, together, upright, upstanding? In other words, us church people. See, what Paul is doing here, beginning in chapter 2, is he's talking with an imaginary person. Verse 17, if you look at the text, he says, but if you call yourself a Jew. So he's not pointing the finger and saying, you, 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 this person. What he's doing is he's looking at a person type. If you call yourself a Jew, in other words, you're part of the people of God. You are part of the elect, chosen nation, treasured possession, holy people of God. If you call yourself a Jew... He's basically talking to an imaginary person. He's using a rhetorical device known as diatribe. And he then proceeds to show this person the dangers of their hypocrisy, self-importance, their superiority, and their failure to live out their vocation as an advertisement for Jesus. In other words, the Holy Spirit is warning us. He's warning the chosen people of God of our failure to live our vocation as God's elect people. And that failure comes down to relational hypocrisy, self-importance, superiority, self-righteousness. It's a warning concerning the dangers of looking down on other people who might more visibly be broken all the while forgetting our own brokenness. Believe me, I've struggled. I I was kind of like... Is this really the text God is calling me on my Sunday back to do? I hope I'm preaching this with a sense of brokenness myself over the failure of the church to love like we're called to love. So I'm going to challenge us to look at two things from this text this morning. Understand our failure and understand the purpose of grace. Simple outline, challenging text. Look with me at verse 17. He says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you were instructed from the law, and if you are sure, listen carefully to his wording, if you're sure, you're confident, you're certain that what? You yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of of knowledge and truth. Now he begins, and he highlights all their covenant privileges. And notice, he doesn't deny them. These are good things. Friends, these are good things. We don't get rid- We do boast in God. We do have the law of God. We do know his will. We approve what is excellent. So what is the problem? Well, verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach others? yourself. Whoa, there it is. There's the failure. When you preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. And then when he says, for as it is written, 
He's alluding to two Old Testament texts, Isaiah 52.5 and Ezekiel 36 that I read for. Because he's saying to the chosen people of God, the covenant people of God, the name of God, rather than being worshipped because of your advertisement for Jesus, rather than being adored and loved and praised, is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Christian, do you realize our, our it's not, this is not pointing fingers, pointing my finger at myself as much as anybody else. Do we understand our failure or have we forgotten our vocation? Let me try to be contemporary. I'm sure all of us watch the Marvel movies, right? That's what we do. But I'm going to give you a, a quote. Remember the immortal words in the Spider-Man series of Uncle Ben to Peter Parker? Maybe you don't. You could look it up. Trust me, I'm, I'm telling you the truth on this. He said, with great power comes great responsibility. Now, maybe you haven't seen the Spider-Man movies, but that's true of the covenant people of God. We have been given amazing power. The Holy Spirit lives within us. You want to know what the Holy Spirit is meant to look like in our lives? Paul conveys it. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. With great power comes great responsibility. Our vocation is to demonstrate, embody, cultivate that, live that out before others. See, I want you to picture something. Where is Jesus right now? He's in heaven, right? Seated at the right hand of the Father in his resurrected, glorified body. So the world, the non-believer, can't physically see Jesus. Where does the non-Christian get a glimpse of Jesus? What is the church called? The body of Christ. We're called the body of Christ. That's, we're actually, so we are to make known, we are to reveal what Jesus is like to the world. The Old Testament called it being a light to the nations, which is why he's telling this imaginary opponent, and he wants the hearers and readers to recognize with their election, with their being in covenant with God, comes great responsibility. And what is that purpose? See, what does it mean? Michael Goheen puts it this way. He says, a central thread to the biblical story is God's chosen people. He's referring to Israel throughout the Old and New Testament. He says, this is a central thread to the biblical narrative. He says, the biblical story is a narrative of God's dealing with an elect people in whom and through whom he will accomplish his purpose for the world. They are to be a people who bear in their lives the goal of universal history, which is the reconciliation and renewal that God intends. They are a people who are blessed. They are a people who are being restored to the original blessing of what it truly means to be human. And they are also a people who are to be a blessing. They are chosen for the sake of the world to be a means of blessing. It is this outward orientation for the sake of the world that makes God's people missional by their very nature. 
Their identity is found in the role they play in universal history. Israel is supposed to be the bearer of that story so that through them the pagan nations will come to worship the true God, honor his name, glorify him in all his majesty, beauty, splendor, and sovereignty. So what does Paul say to this one who calls himself a Jew, who's to bear that story? He says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Does that bother us? Does that break us? That wouldn't it be something if we would cultivate the personality of Jesus to such a degree that when non-Christians look at us, They say there's something different about how they relate. They're going through the same stuff I'm going through. But look at their patience. They disagree with me. We're not going to agree with everybody about it. This is not a call to agreement. It's a call to cultivating character for the sake of the world. But yet, they speak with a kindness. They listen to me. It almost reminds me of... What Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, when he says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Listen to what he calls the church. Isn't that amazing? You're God's chosen ones. You're holy. You're set apart. You're beloved. He says, as this kind of person, as this people, Lake Oconee, as this people that are God, the apple of his eye, put on compassionate hearts kindness, meekness, humility, and patience, bearing one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another. Just as the Lord forgave you, you are to forgive one another. And above all these things, put on love, which binds them together in perfect harmony. Okay, enough of the bad news. You're ready We need to remember the purpose of grace. So we all obviously fail, which is why we struggle with grace, by the way. We don't want to pray with David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. It takes amazing confidence that what the Scripture says, that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ— to be able to cultivate this kind of humility to look at yourself honestly. But see, remember grace. It is Jesus, the Messiah, who in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension fulfills the covenant promises, both in its curses and blessings. See, in verse 24, Paul is alluding, I mentioned earlier, to several texts in the Old Testament, including Isaiah 52.5. And according to commentators, what Paul is doing here is he's likening the current situation of the church in Rome to the state of the Jewish people when they were in exile in Babylon. 
When the Jewish people were in exile, they were ripped from Jerusalem. Temple was destroyed. Remember that stage in redemptive history? The name of God was being blasphemed among the Gentiles because of them. Now, when you get to the New Testament, what did Jesus do? Jesus took on and absorbed in himself the failure of God's people, in effect becoming Israel himself, going into exile on the cross in order to create in himself a new humanity, a reimagined and reconfigured Israel, who now carry on and continue participate in the mission of Jesus. Listen to Paul's words to the Galatians church in the context of the whole biblical story. Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. See, follow what's going on here. Through Christ, instead of the Gentiles blaspheming the name of God, the blessing of Abraham comes to the Gentiles. And how? Through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ absorbing our failure, our personal failure, our personal sin, our relational sin. He absorbed it all. He took the curse of all. He went into exile. For us, Christ fulfilled the mission. Christ fulfilled the vocation of Israel so that God's plan did not fail. Christ is the new Adam, the new Israel, who creates a new humanity made up of every tribe and tongue and people and language that includes us who believe in Jesus Christ. And see, and that new humanity, the new people of God, comprised of both Jews and Gentiles in Christ, we still have the same mission, the same purpose and vocation. We are still called to make God known, to reveal Christ in word when we proclaim him, and in deed, in our acts of mercy. And to do so, embodying and cultivating the character of Jesus, growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Growing. You want to know what Jesus is like? You read Galatians 5. You read 1 Corinthians 13. You read the Sermon on the Mount. You read Colossians 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love. That's the personality of Jesus. We are still called to bear that. You know what a lot of that means? A lot of that means admitting our failure. A lot of that is trusting in the grace of God enough to be able to go, I'm not very humble. I'm not very meek. I'm not, I don't have a compassionate heart. You know who I care about most? Me. I remember a pastor saying years ago, our life is supposed to be Christ at the center and we revolve around Christ. And he said instead, what is, he puts us at the center, and what do we do? Revolve around me. It's all about me. What kind of advertisement is that for Jesus? See, we are called to be 
a light to the nations, starting right here at home. See, we have quite the opportunity right here in our own backyard at Lake Oconee. How many people need Christ? People who are hurting and in need of healing. And not just physical. How many people suffer loneliness and need friendship? Do you think we have some work to do? And do you think we have some opportunities? God has called us to a great task. I know this was a hard sermon in many, many ways, but remember the purpose of grace. It's not just hang on tight, we're going to die and then go to heaven. We're called to bear the story of God to our neighbors, to make Christ known in word and our proclamation, in deed and in our characters. It's difficult, it's vulnerable, and it's exciting. If we trust Christ and the reality of grace and the reality of forgiveness, it's okay to fail. And it's okay to admit it. Christ is that big. The promises of God are that yes and amen in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for this text. And as difficult as it is, I pray that we would hold on and appropriate and remember grace a little bit more. Teach us as a church to be this kind of honest, develop and cultivate this kind of community with each other. We pray that your spirit would apply this word to our lives individually and corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing hymn, Be Thou My Vision.
now receive the Lord's benediction and be dismissed out into the world. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen.